Testament. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through uh, 14 uh, this morning. Well, we know that every time the Word of God goes forth, that God speaks. Uh, God speaks because His Word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing through the soul and spirit bone and marrow, revealing the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So we pray that during that time of offering, when we meditate on, on the goodness of the gospel and knowing that it is well with our soul, that even now as the word of God is about to be preached, that we want our hearts to be softened so that we would allow God to speak to our hearts, that we would not be hard-hearted, but that our hearts would be soft, ready to hear from our great God. So one way we do that is we want to pay reverence for the word of God, the gift that it is. So please stand with me as we hear the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, and my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Great God, we have come to you in praise. We have come to you in confession. We have given our gifts to you. And yet, God, in your kindness to us, you ask us to bring all our requests before you because you care for us. So, Father, we do so now. We, we bring forth the, the needs of our congregation first, those who are, are hurting physically. God, we pray that you be with Ken Tedderd and Jerry Green, our dear brothers as they battle cancer, Father. We pray that you continue to give them strength and hope, Father. We pray that you be with Sandra and Ellen as they care for their, their husbands. We pray that you would give them words, an apt word at the right time. Father, we pray for Barbara as she's recovering from her back surgery. Father, we pray that you would just continue to give her uh, faith and, and healing, God, as she's going through this trial. Uh, Father, there's many other needs in our congregation. Some, um, I just want to pray specifically against those who are struggling with a particular sin and feel that there is no freedom. God, I pray that you would remind them of the hope that they have in Christ. And God, we pray for those who are just struggling with uh, finances. God, we pray that first and foremost that their faith and their trust would be in you, Lord. You are the great provider. And God, I do pray that you would um, provide for their needs as the great provider. Father, we also lift up our nation to you today. Lord, 15 years ago, we all experienced the horrific act of September 11th. And dear God, we ask that you would be with our nation. Father, I pray that we would understand, Lord, uh, the evil that's in our world and that the only hope against that evil is the gospel of Christ, uh, that Christians across this land today would not be hoping in the government, would not be hoping in, in nationalism or patriotism, but God, we'd be hoping in the gospel of the Lord Christ, our King, our, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. God, I pray that you would embolden um, the preachers of the gospel today, Father, that we would not hide the true meaning of the word around American themes. But, dear God, I pray that you would allow us to be godly and faithful citizens of this great nation, God, uh, not because we love the nation more than we love Christ. We pray that our, our love for Christ and our love for the gospel, Lord, would drive us to love our neighbors well. So, Father, we pray that you would be with all those families today who, who lost loved ones that day. God, I pray that you would comfort their hearts with the hope of glory that one day, Lord, they shall see your face. 
when the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Father, let them say it is well with their soul. Father, we also just pray for the gospel in our own community. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for um, uh, Pastor Fudd and uh, the Remedy Church, God, as they're moving to a new facility. We pray, God, in your kindness, Lord, that you would just minister to that body. Father, we pray that you would fill that congregation up uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, even now, Lord, as the word of God is going forth, we pray that you would bless the preaching and hearing of your word. God, we ask now that as we um, go into our own time of hearing the word, God, that you would um, be with us, Father, that you would soften our hearts. God, we are so grateful that we have the word of God, that we get to hear and respond to it. So, Father, first, we thank you for being a great God who speaks. And we pray, God, that you would speak, Lord, that you would allow us to see that what is happening in our lives can serve to advance the gospel of Christ. Father, I pray that we will, we will see all our blessings and all our trials as opportunities to make much of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you would allow us to reach the people in our lives, to reach our coworkers and our neighbors. God, I pray that through this message that you will put specific individuals on our hearts that we can take the gospel to, Father. Uh, even, Lord, as, we, as, I, as I think about how much of a blessing it is when we hear the great hymns of the faith, that our hearts as a congregation are stirred because our sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Dear God, I pray that because we res respond with so much joy because of that, that we would want others to share in that joy, that we would not be fearful. But, God, that we would be bold because our boldness is in the Lord. We are confident that you are a God that loves to save, that we would share the gospel free of charge to all that they may hear and believe in Christ. Father, we ask now that you would just hear our word. Hear your word, God. Be with the people of Park Baptist Church. Help us hear with the eyes and the ears of the Holy Spirit of God. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Charles Thomas Studd is an awesome name, isn't it? Charles Thomas, also known as C.T. Studd. That's what my mom wanted to call me, but they decided against it at the last minute. Come on. He was an outstanding cricket player in England. Uh, he actually became an internationally uh, known in a, in a match from England against Australia in 1882. Uh, his father was a wealthy businessman, and he came to Christ under the ministry of D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey. And after his father came to Christ, he was pleading with God and looking for opportunities again and again to bring the gospel to his children. Uh, when C.T. was 18 years old, there was a visiting preacher that his father invited into their home, and he shared the gospel with C.T. that night. And C.T., remembering back to that moment, said this, he fell on his knees and confessed Christ. He said, right then and there a joy and a peace came into my soul. I knew then that it was, knew what it meant to be born again. And the Bible, which had been so dry to me before, became everything. Well, Stud continued his studies at Trinity College, continued to, to play uh, cricket. And uh, when he was about 24 years old, his brother, Edward, had a serious illness, the kind of illness that makes you question life, the kind of illness that makes you question what really matters in life. 
This is the question, looking back, about his brother's idness that made him, made him think. What is all the fame and flattery worth? What is all the fame and flattery of this world worth when a man comes to face eternity? When we stand before God, what will all the fame and flattery of this world do for us? At 24 years old, as a young person, he had to come with a grips. What really matters in life? Should he continue his cricket career? That fame and fortune held out right in front of him? Well, after spending time with the Lord, Stud made the decision to leave cricket and the fame and fortune that comes with it to follow after Christ to the mission field. This is what he said. Because I know that cricket will not last, and honor would not last. Nothing in this world would last. But it was worthwhile, but what is worthwhile is living for the world to come. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, this morning, I want to remind you that you have one life to live before the Lord. The question before us is how are we going to spend that life? Stud would spend the rest of his life for the gospel of the Lord Christ, serving with Hudson Taylor in China and then later on in Africa. He said, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Stud joyfully pursued Christ in saving the lost on the mission field. And all Stud was doing was following the example that we see in Scripture by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. Paul lived a gospel-centered life. He lived with gospel lenses on. He viewed everything in his life and how it related to the gospel of the Lord Christ and the advance of the kingdom of God. Paul judged his entire life not in the esteem of this world, but on his impact for the gospel of Christ. So my prayer is today that you also would be like Stud and Paul, that you would judge your life not based on the, the world's uh, perspective, but you would judge your life based on its impact for the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you want to follow along on the bulletin provided for you, I want to challenge you for really one thing and then two applications of that one thing. The first is the joyful, joyful pursuit of a gospel-centered goal. A gospel-centered goal. Paul begins this section of Scripture after his introduction and his prayer, as we looked at last week. In verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. If you remember that Paul was in prison here several times earlier, it says, my imprisonment has changed. We know that Paul is in prison. And the church at Philippi sent a papyrus uh, to, to care for Paul's needs along with a gift, right, a financial gift. But at this point, the Philippian church does not know how Paul is doing. They just think that Paul was arrested and he's in jail. And, and, and in their minds, they're probably thinking, well, the gospel mission, the gospel missionary journey of Paul is now closed because he is locked in, in chains. In that day, most prisoners uh, were only able to survive by the generosity of others. So if someone didn't provide them food and, and, and clothing, they would not have blankets and they would not have food, and eventually they would starve. 
So it was the kindness of the Philippian church and the generosity of family and friends that would serve Paul while he was in, in prison. The great pastor, theologian, and preacher, missionary, is in prison, unable to make an impact for the gospel. Or so they thought. Paul here did not focus on his chains. What is the first thing that he says? He does not say, my, my trials and my, my jail time is difficult. Now, is going to jail difficult? For the gospel, yes. Right? If you deserve it, that's a whole other story. But if you don't deserve it, you're just trying to honor Christ, and they send you to prison, and you're cold at night, right? And, and, and things are, are difficult. It's a hard time. But Paul does not begin there. What does he begin? I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me. The, the imprisonment, the, the trials that I'm facing has served to advance the gospel. That is a beautiful perspective. See, Paul lived with that singular aim for the advance of the gospel. He wanted the world to know Christ. He defined success and failure, not in the, the worldly ways, but in gospel impact. So when you define whether it's a good week or a bad week, when someone asks you, like they often do, like when I come home, my wife says, how was your day? How am I judging that day? Am I judging on my productivity and what I accomplished? Am, am I judging because something good happened to me? Or am I judging it on, on the gospel impact of my life? The fuel that powers any missionary. This is a, a great idea. We, we, we sang, send the light, this idea of this missionary hymn. Paul is here as a missionary. He's going for the gospel. Uh, the fuel that powers missionary sacrifice, hear me, is the sacrifice of Christ. The only way that you and I, or those great heroes of the faith, could give all to the mission field is because they understood the, the great mission of God in the sacrifice of the Lord Christ. Even C.T. Studd himself said this. He says, if Jesus Christ be God, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Do you hear that? If Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. Because he made a greater sacrifice in stepping out of heaven and dying on the cross. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me. It's one of the reasons why we love singing, and can it be? Hymn 147 in your hymnal. You're going to learn them all by the, before it's all said and done. And can it be, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, just die for me? If you're struggling with living for the Lord, if you're struggling sharing the gospel, here's what you need to do. You need to meditate on what Christ has done for you. You need to meditate that you were a wretched sinner, an enemy of God. According to the promise of God, alienated, separate, deserving of eternal wrath, eternal of a life in hell because of your rebellion against God. Just stop for a moment and think about what you deserve. And then think of Christ. Your God who came and died for you. The righteous one for the unrighteous. 
to bring us to God. What a great and powerful thing. Jesus died on the cross offering the greatest sacrifice in the history of the world. The righteous for the unrighteous. And he brings us to God how? Not only through his death and his, his payment for our sin, his, his sacrifice on our behalf, but no, through his resurrection from the dead is, is God stamping and shouting to the world that I approve of what Jesus Christ did. That he is a man, and yet he is God because he's risen from the dead. Now, all of us here have hope. We have hope that if we turn from our sins and trust in Christ, Christ will save all. He will save all who call upon his name. What a beautiful promise. The reason why all great missionaries are willing to sacrifice is because they meditate on the sacrifice of Christ. So if you struggle with giving yourself unto the Lord, I pray that you would meditate on Christ. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, said Stud, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Now think about the Apostle Paul here for a second. The Apostle Paul had some pretty good reasons to boast. You know, 13 letters of the New Testament, uh, you know, leader in the early church. Just, just go with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 12. That was the scripture reading. 2 Corinthians 12. Beginning in verse 11. Sorry, 2 Corinthians, let's try this one more time. Hit the rewind button. 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 21. Listen to what God's word says. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. Far greater labors. Far more imprisonments. Countless beatings. Often near death. Five times I received the hands of the Jews. The forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure of on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Then go on to the next chapter, verse 12, verse 9. Chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, here what it says. For the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Beloved, for the sake of Christ, the Christ who is God, who died for you, I pray that you will learn to be content whatever your circumstances are. Trying health, difficult 
financial situation, a difficult job or, or boss, a challenging living situation, whatever it is, I pray that you would view whatever that is in the light of the gospel of Christ. That for the sake of Christ, you can endure that and make much of his name. That's what Paul is saying here. Brothers, I want you to know what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. At the end of our lives, I pray we can say the same. When you look in your grandchildren's eyes and you're about to meet the Lord, that you can say, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel of our great Christ. That's number one. Number one, everything else flows from it. Right? So that the first, this is, this, this is what we want. We want a gospel-centered goal. We want to live our life for the gospel. And I think two ways we do that is the second two points. The first is we want to joyfully pursue the gift of guards, as I'm going to call it, the gift of, of guards. Look what it says in, in the scriptures in verse 13. There's a purpose, right? Serve to advance the gospel. And here's the reasons how the gospel is advancing. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, Paul could have sat there in his jail cell and been discouraged and frustrated. And if you read the scripture, especially the end of 2 Timothy, there were times where Paul was alone and depressed sitting in jail. So we don't want to wipe, wipe the, 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 the humanness off of Paul or any missionary. Missionary life is, is hard and monotonous, and there's a lot of trials and difficulty. Last year, uh, last summer when I was in Israel, I was speaking with a missionary, an IMB missionary that we support, uh, who, who's living in, ministering to, to Muslims in Bethlehem. And uh, he just said, life is hard. It's hard ministering to Muslims. It's a blessing, a great opportunity to share the gospel, but we miss our family. I miss my parents being able to watch my kids grow up. It's hard. But it is worth it. So what missionaries today, what missionaries then had to, had to see is, is what's happening around us. So Paul, instead of being discouraged about where he was at, he was looking for people he could share the gospel with. He took advantage of the opportunity of the situation where God placed him. So often God places us in a circumstance or a situation. And what is our natural tendency? Our natural tendency is to step over here and try to get out of the circumstance, get out of the, the situation. And what God wants you to do, he says, okay, you're in the situation. Everything happens by my hand. You're there for a reason. So why are you there? Who can you reach with the gospel? Who are the, the guards in your life? Paul had literal guards who were, who, were, who were watching him. So can you imagine being watching Paul for six hours? What do you think Paul's going to talk about? South Carolina football? Probably not, right? We're probably not going to talk about things in the grand scheme of eternity doesn't really matter. I just said that out loud. Okay? What truly matters is how you live for, for the Lord. So Paul was talking about Jesus. He was, he was talking to those, those guards about their eternal soul. Do you know what's going to happen when you meet God? Do you know that there's a great Savior who 
came and died to pay for your sins. If you would just turn from your sins and trust in Him, you can experience the same resurrection that He had from the dead. And guess what that, that guard would do? That guard would go back to his barracks when he surrounded his, with his friends and they would talk about, have you been with Paul yet? Yeah, man, I had him last week. And they're talking about the gospel. And then they're going to their homes and they're, they're talking to their wives and to their children about what happened during their days. And they're talking about the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, it has become clear throughout the whole guard, probably maybe 9,000 people in general. Now, that's not meaning that Paul talked to every single person, was it? No, Paul talked to a few who spread the word. Everyone knows that I'm here for Christ. And because they know that I'm here for Christ, they know of the gospel of Christ. That's a powerful thing. So I guess the question is, who are your guards? Who, whatever circumstance the Lord has brought you in, whatever life stage, who has God brought in your life for you to reach? In your homes, your neighborhoods, your jobs. Uh, the great missionary, Leslie Newbegin, he was a missionary in India uh, in the second half of the uh, 19th century for about 30 years, maybe the, from the after post-Civil War, 50s to about the, about the late 70s. And uh, he, he was doing these meditations to his, his clergy in India, Madras, India. And this is what he said. He says, what does this say to us about our mission in industry? How do we reach people from, in business? We do not have to send missionaries into industry. Seems kind of like an odd statement, right? We don't need to send missionaries to, in, into industry? And he says this. There are already tens of thousands of baptized Christians in the industries of Madras, and most of them are workers, some managers and supervisors. The difficulty is that most of them misunderstood their baptism. They had thought that it was something that they had nothing to do with their work on the shop floor or in the office. That was a personal matter concerning their personal and private salvation and not a commitment to be of God's mission to industry. Our main job, he's saying to pastors, is to help them to understand that they are the industrial mission. We have missionaries on Winthrop's campus. They're called students. We have missionaries at Allied Bank. They're called employees. We have missionaries in our homes. They're called parents. We go with the gospel. Who has God brought in front of you where you can take the gospel to them? Because if we believe that God is the one who orchestrates history, God placed you exactly where you need to be for his glory to advance his mission. The challenge for us is we don't see it. Because we, we, we think that our baptism, our, our decision for the Lord was a personal and a private decision. And God says it's public. Personal, yes, but never private. Always public. God will use our circumstances to bring himself glory. Will you look around you and find out where God is moving and reach out to those. Train your eyes to see the gifts of the guards in your midst. So right now... I'm going, to, I'm, going to have, I'm going to have three seconds of silence. It's going to be hard. I'm not going to talk for three seconds. And I want you to think of one person, one guard, if you will, that you feel led by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with. As you did that, I did that. And it 
face came to me. I pray one came to you as well. Well, lastly, let us close here with the joyful pursuit of the gifts of grace. The joyful pursuits of the gifts of grace. So right now, Paul is really only talking about himself. He's talking about his own imprisonment, how God is using his own imprisonment to advance the gospel. He's using his own conversations in the conversations that have happened through his own ministry right now. The gifts of his own personal ministry. And then he ends with something that he probably wasn't expecting. Look at verse 14. And it says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word, uh, the word without fear. So here's the thing. God used Paul's faithfulness to, expect, to extend to the grace of others. So because Paul was faithful unto Christ while he was in prison, sharing the gospel with those who were around him, guess what? People are watching him that he, that he did not know that were watching him, and they are confident in the Lord. They are going deeper into the gospel of Christ. They, they trust in, in, the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus even more so that they want to share it with others. They are more bold to share the gospel. You have no earthly idea how your faithfulness will affect the masses. You don't know. That widow who dropped two mites in the offering plate had no idea that her story would be told for generations. You have no idea how God wants to use your life. I can promise you this. There are people watching you that you don't know about. And there's people who are encouraged by your faithfulness that you do not know about. We need to see how God is using our faithfulness to extend his grace in the life of others. This is one of the, the beautiful blessings of being part of a Park Baptist church being part of a multi-generational church. Uh, young people, when, when you are living unto the Lord, stories are kind of, are kind of circulated, right, among our, our seniors about what is happening in our young people and their faithfulness to Christ and, and how they're visiting and how they're caring and how they're sharing the gospel. And you know what's happening among the body of Christ? They are more confident in the Lord to, to share Christ with their grandchildren, more confident in the Lord to share Christ with their neighbors because of you. You are, have no earthly idea how your faithfulness has radically transformed our church body and our love for Christ. Right? Amen. And seniors, I want you to know that I can't tell you how many times a young person has come to me and has felt welcomed and encouraged because of you, because of how you live your life unto the Lord. You may never know of the stories that I hear of, of them praising God for you in their life. How they are more confident to, to love the church. To, to sacrifice for the church because of your faithfulness unto Christ. So can I just make a plea? If you and I and all of us here are living our lives with our eyes for the glory of Christ, pursuing his glory, and, our, and we're steadfast in that devotion, God will use us for his glory. God wants to use you for his glory. 
God wants you to help people hear and believe in the gospel of Christ. So when they sit in a sanctuary like this and they hear those wonderful words, Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. That one day when they hear those words, their hearts will be moved with emotion because they know the Christ in which that speaks. For if Jesus Christ be God and die for me, there is no sacrifice. There is no sacrifice that I'm not willing to do unto him. When Stud died, uh, he was most known for a single poem that I'd like to read to you as a reminder that we only have one life to live unto the Lord. Hear his words. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, that still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. A few brief years, each with his burdens, hopes, and fears, each with his clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its own way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy and sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only that which is done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fever burn. And from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life is only one. Now let me say thy will be done. When at last I hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life was burned out for thee. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help the people of this church to be burned out for thee. Father, we have one life to live for your glory. We pray that we would know that what has happened to us has served to advance the gospel. Help us share in that great joy. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.